Hey, thanks so much, Pastor Ramesh. Hi, good morning, everybody. Uh, I was just scrolling through. If you if you just click on your forward button on your gallery view and go all the way to near the end, you will see an uppercase I in green background. That is uh, seems to be that my very dear friend and brother Isaac Ling has shown up here today. Thanks, bro, for for gracing us uh, with your company and your friendship today. Yeah. I've just officially become 34.65% more nervous uh, to preach today only because I'm in the very venerable, venerable company of, of, of that theologian, the, the uppercase green. <laughs> I'm honored to be here. Good to see you, Isaac. Yeah, everybody just shout a big hi to Pastor Isaac. Pastor Isaac will be joining us to preach at Sungai Bulo after Easter. So we'll be, we'll be giving her a rousing welcome um, after Easter. And on that day, his camera has to come on, right? Today, his doesn't. All right, good stuff. Today, I'm sharing with you um, part two, installment two of our series on the seven I am's of Jesus. If you go through the gospel of John, you will see seven I am's. And some of you are very sharp and you're saying, hey, wait a minute, Pastor Fergus, I know that I am the gate of the sheep. Is John chapter 10, it is the third I am. It is not the second I am. What's going on? Did I miss something over CNY? No, you didn't. Uh, Pastor Ramesh and I just did a swap. So we'll be doing chapter 6, I am the light of the world next week. Uh, this week, we're bringing forward, I am the gate of the sheep. Today, we are here in John chapter 10, where Jesus says, I am the gate of the sheep. Now, my friends, my friends, I'm the gate in my estimation, from the people, I, uh, I, whenever I talk to people and even from my own experience, I find that this I am, I am the gate of the sheep, or in some translations, uh, like the ESV that I read from actually, it says I'm the door of the sheep, it means the same thing. It, it, it probably is the most neglected and least understood of all the seven I am. So a few very practical reasons. One is that it is lumped into John chapter 10 together with I am the good shepherd. And everybody wants to talk about I am the good shepherd because it's a lot easier to explain. Uh, but actually, I am the gate is also uh, the I am with one of the most famous sayings, which is John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill and destroy, but I have come to give life life and life abundantly. We all know that line. It's just that we don't always know it, that it comes in the context of Jesus being the metaphor for the gate or the door, right? And of course, it's a little bit high concept to think of Jesus as a gate. It's easy to think of Jesus as the light. It's easy to think of Jesus as, as the bread, you know, because we, we, we take communion together. You know, it's easy to think of Jesus as a vine because it's a very clear picture of, of branches being sustained. But it's, a, it's just a little bit uh, conceptual. It's just a little bit, you know, theoretical to think of Jesus as a gate. So today, that's my challenge to help unpack this few verses of I am the gate of the sheep and help us to all understand what this means for us, what this means for the Christian body as a whole. So, so I'm going to jump right into the text, okay? So let's, I'm just going to read this text. John chapter 10, verse 1, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the sheepfold, enter the sheepfold by the door. 
And then there is a door, there is a sheepfold. He who does not enter by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them. So I think you can see the picture, right? He goes in, he calls them, all the sheep know his name, he leads them out. When they are all going out, he goes round to the front and he leads them like a procession of sheep, leaving the sheepfold or leaving the sheep pen, moving into where? The pasture Land, and they go through the gate. When he has brought out all his own, he goes out before them and they, the sheep follow him for they know his voice. A stranger, this stranger is the same as the man who climbs in from the fence, right? The thief and the robber. A stranger, they will not follow, but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech so many metaphors, right? So many metaphors, okay? Um, this figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus said again to them, now he's going to explain some of the metaphors. Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Or in some translations, I am the gate of the sheep. All who came before me, and the before here is all who came pri prior to me, okay? All who came prior to me, are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out. Everybody say in and out. Everybody say into the sheep pen, into the sheep pen, out to the pasture land. Into the sheep pen, out to the pasture land. Everybody who enters by me will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill. Ah, now your favorite verse. <laughs> Suddenly, everybody's favorite verse, right? The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came. It's a bit weird, right? Because I want you all to think about this. Jesus is saying, I am the gate. Now, I don't know about you. I've never seen a gate come anywhere before. I've never seen a gate show up before. The gate is just always there. It is fasten one end into the ground with hinges, you know, and the other side just swings left and right, right, front and back, right? But here Jesus says, I am the gate. I come to be a gate that they may, they who they, they, the sheep, may have life and have it abundantly. Now, so many metaphors. I'm just going to get into this in a moment. But before that, I want to tell you something uh, that happened to me when I was in Form 3, right? Uh, so so uh, broadcast team, we can take off the slide for just a moment. I want to tell a little story. When I was in Form 3, I was in the Interact Club and we had this uh, um, play, okay? They, 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 this night, I think it was IU night or something like that. And we had this play and, and I was involved in it and I was one of the kids who was acting in it. And so uh, the, the play opens this way. The curtains pull open and then Coolio's Gangster's Paradise starts go, bursting out. Boom, 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 right? And there is a motorbike on the stage with the engine already turned on. 15-year-old Fergus walks out, sits on that motorbike and goes, <laughs> God, it's so bad. It's so bad. And behind me is a huge, it's a cloth uh, a backdrop made of, it's, it's a cloth backdrop 
spray painted, it's dark blue, um, spray painted very, very badly um, uh, to look like graffiti. The whole scene was supposed, is supposed to, to look like the hoodlums from the movies we saw, from the Snoop Dogg CDs that we had or whatever it is now, okay? So, 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 so the one look at that backdrop and you knew that this bunch of kids either didn't know what they were doing because you can't spray onto dark blue cloth. You just can't, okay? These kids either don't know what they're doing, they were either working with whatever little resources that they had or that they could get their hands on, or they did a really shabby job of it. In reality, it was all three of the above. So what happened two weeks prior to that show Myself and two other friends, I'll name them A and B, literally because their names start with A and B. The three of us show up at A's house, or rather me and B show up at A's house. We ring the doorbell, he comes out, he opens the gate. We go into his house and then someone, I forget whether it was A or B, shows up, pulls out this dark blue cloth and we're looking at it going like, dude, we can't paint on this. This is dumb. This is so stupid. Why did you get this? I, like, I don't know. My mother got me this. <laughs> right? So, 15, right? So, so we decide to, okay, open it anyway. We're still going to spray paint this. This has to be the backdrop for our play. And then suddenly A says, guys, guys, let's go over to my neighbor's house. Let's go to my neighbor's house. We're like, why? We do the spray painting there. It's like, why? How can we do that? He says, he says, oh, my neighbors are never around. I think they've moved away already. They never come back on. So we can easily, very easily, we can go over to my neighbor's house. So A and then B and then F, all three of us climb over his fence, okay, into the neighbor's house. And then we spread the cloth out onto the floor with all our spray cans. And then we start spraying would-be graffiti on this, on this giant piece of cloth, you know. And we can't really see the colors because it's like red, which should have looked so nice on white. But this idiot brought a blue cloth, you know. And the whole thing looks ridiculous. And then we realize when you spray onto cloth, on cement, it seeps through onto the ground. And so, <laughs> 15-year-olds, how stupid can we be? We lift up the backdrop and the whole concrete floor has paint. It's like soaked in paint. And we're like, oh no, what's going to happen? Could anything worse happen? And then, could anything worse happen? Yes, you guessed it. Right there, the auntie showed up at the cake. And then she opened the gate. Why? Why are you doing here? Boy, why are you doing here? And we're like, oh no, what's this? And then suddenly, so so B and F immediately grab the cloth and we throw it over the fence as if we have to give it away that it's him, right? Okay, we throw it into his house. And then we run, we run around the auntie, run around the uncle and their car, and we just dash, we, like literally every man to his house, right? We dash out into the taman, hiding in the back lane and all that, <laughs> leaving our poor friend A, the canas called that. Why you think this is your house? Ah? Why, yo, young boy, y'all don't know what you're doing. You see what you did to my floor? Da -da -da. He maximum. About 
maybe we hit for about 15, 20 minutes before we came back to A's house and we're like, hey, dude, dude, give us the stupid piece of cloth. And we took it and somebody brought it home and dried it in the house or maybe finished the job, you know? And, and so my friends, my friends, that happened to me when I was 15. There is a gate and the gate is the legitimate way to enter a premise. And then there is a fence. There's fence all over the other side. And the fence is the illegitimate way to enter a premise. You don't want to enter anybody's premise through the fence. You don't want to climb that. Um, of course, granted, we did escape through the gate. Um, not much dignity in doing that. But that happened to me when I was 15 years old. And that's today when I look at this text, I am the gate of the sheepfold. I am the gate of the sheep. It reminds me of all the bodo things we have done, all the stupid things we have done, and including, it reminds me of all the times that we have tried. Now, now moving away from my stupid youth, you know, I'm thinking today that, man, all the times that I have entered or crisscrossed between the sheep pen and the pasture land, when without going through Christ, without going through the gate, without ignore, ignoring, sometimes sidestepping, sometimes because we know we're sinned, sometimes because we know we're not right. And when we try to avoid, try to see, I hope Jesus don't see, so we don't dare to walk through Jesus. We walk around and on the outside of Jesus, hoping that we can get some free pass around it. And then I realized, you know what? There's a lot of metaphors in this, service, in, this, in this text. Let's look at it before we can break it down. So, so first thing is, let's start with the easiest one. I am the gate of the sheep, says Jesus. So the gate is Jesus, okay? So you got to see, there is a sheep pen with fences all around, and then there is a gate. Jesus says, I am the gate. So problem solved. What is the gate? Jesus is the gate, okay? And then there are people who climb over the fence, in order to access the sheep through the, through the fence. This, Jesus says, they are the thief and the robber. Now, who is the thief and the robber? Satan is the thief and the robber. Satan tries to access the sheep through illegitimate ways. Satan tries to access the sheep through other ways because Satan will not be let in through the gate. The gate will not permit Satan through. Therefore, Satan must access the sheep through every other channel. So second problem is solved. The gate is Jesus. The thief is Satan. Who's the shepherd? Who's the sheep? I'm going to go backwards. Who is the sheep? I believe that Christians are the sheep. Not just anybody in this world. I believe that Christians are the sheep. Where do I get this conviction from? If you look a little bit down in your Bibles, verse 16 says, there are other sheep that are not of this sheepfold and I must bring them in also. So, so, so that tells me that the sheep that are currently in the sheepfold are not the sheep 
that are lost. They are not the sheep that need to be reached out to. So there are two ways of thinking about this. You can say, you can look at it um, through the lenses of Israel and say that the sheep is Israel and, and the rest is the Gentile church. But we are the Gentile church. Today, I believe that we can look at it this way. The sheep pen contains all of us who are believers. And then there are other sheep who are outside of this sheepfold. And we, have, and we are waiting for Jesus to bring them in. But for now, whenever sheep is referenced in, in John 10, it's referring to us as followers of God, right? As followers of Jesus. And then who's the shepherd? Who's the shepherd? Now, one of the reasons why I think I'm the gate is such a, it's a little bit, it's mysterious to a certain point that we kind of neglect it. It's because immediately after verse 10, which is the famous verse, Jesus switches metaphor and he says, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And when we read with like, uh, who are you? Are you the gate or are you the good shepherd? Because you said that the shepherd leads them out and then so you're the shepherd but you're also the gate. You walk the sheep through yourself. It doesn't make sense, right? Um, so I believe what's happening is this. There are two separate metaphors using the same raw materials. The same raw materials is the sheep pen. The same raw materials is the sheep and the thief and, uh, and the shepherd and all that. But in the first set of metaphors in the first picture jesus is teaching them he's saying that i am the gate satan is the thief the sheep are all of you believers the shepherd let's not overcomplicate things the shepherd is the one who brings the sheep to feed the shepherd is the one who provides spirit or facilitates i won't even say provide who facilitates spiritual feeding for the flock so my friends Who's the shepherd? Your pastors are your shepherd. Who else is the shepherd? Your cell leaders are the shepherds. Who else is the shepherds? Your ministry leaders are shepherds. Who else? The wider body of the church, the pastors in SIBKL, and of course, Pastor Chu, we are the shepherds. Who else is a shepherd? If you have a mentor, if you have a discipler, someone who's been journeying with you, someone who's eaten more rice than you've eaten salt and they're walking with you, your BSF teacher, whoever it may be, these are the shepherds. So let's not overcomplicate it. Anyone who facilitates your spiritual feeding is one of the shepherds. So let's get into this. I want to show you three points um, today um, from this. Jesus, the gate. How do we understand Jesus, the gate? Jesus, the gate, number one, the gate is the legitimate access point to the sheep and to the pasture. Jesus is the legitimate access point and transition point between the pen and the pasture land. That's one. Number two, Jesus, the gate, the gate is a filter. Everybody say filter, filter, filter. Number three, funnel. Jesus is the gate as the legitimate access point, as a filter, and as a funnel. And we're going to get into the first one, the legitimate access point. So I already point, showed you just now that you have a sheep pen, it's fenced up, and there's a gate, and then there is a pasture land out there. What does the sheep pen represent? What does the pasture land represent? Whatever's on your screen right now, the sheep pen represents a place of safety. Meanwhile, the pasture land is a place of risk, 
and danger. Whenever the sheep stay in the pen, they are safe. There's a fence. I know there are thieves, but generally the assumption is when you are in, when you're home, you're safe. If you're a kid, you play catching and then you run to one tiang and you hold the tiang and you say, house, I'm in the house. I'm in the house. You cannot catch me, right? We understand the concept. When you're at home, you're supposed to be safe. And then outside, when you go out to feed, that's where it can be risky. Wolves can come. Lions can come. The weather can go bad. It is treacherous, potentially dangerous, right? The sheep pen is a place of familiarity. You know it. You're familiar with it. Every day you go back in, it is the same thing. You go out into the pasture land. It is a place of venture. You're stepping out into the unknown because today you're feeding here, tomorrow you're feeding there, the next day you're feeding somewhere else, right? Because you can't keep feeding on the same patch of grass, ma. It will finish, ma, right? So every day you are exploring and breaking into new territory. It is a place of venture. The pen is a place of rest where you recover and recuperate. While the pasture land is a place of industry and feeding. You go out. Now, for sheep, the most industrious thing they can do is just to go and eat, okay? But for the rest of us, when we go out to our pasture land, is to make sure that every mouth has food to eat, right? It's essentially the same thing. The pen is a place that is predictable and a place that you can control. The pasture land is a place of variables and is an untamed place. You don't know what to expect. Stability, volatility, home, domestic versus the work and vocational spaces. That's the difference between the sheep pen and the pasture land. Now, here's the thing, in between the sheep pen and the pasture land, there is a gate. And the gate is the transiting point where you go in. And remember just now Jesus said, anyone who comes through me uh, shall, shall be saved. And then they shall what? Go in and out to find pasture. Every single one of us, every day, we go in and out to find pasture. Jesus is the gate. And when you transit, as you can now see on the slide, when you transit between the pen and the pasture land, the safe and the risky, the domestic and the vocational, we transit through Jesus. This first point, I want to show you from the perspective of sheep living everyday lives, this is what Jesus the gate can mean. As you transit from your place to another place, as you transit from a safe place to a risky place, as you transit from a domestic arena into a, into a, a, a vocational one, friends, pass through what? Pass through Jesus the gate. Now, I, I really set up thinking like, how and what does it mean to pass through Jesus the gate? Why? Why should we do this? Don't, don't I just like you know, pull open my laptop, start working, you know? Yes, but if I don't pass through Jesus the gate, I'm going out into the pasture land through some other way. I'm going out into the pasture land by climbing over the fence to do my own thing. And you know in church we always say work is worship. And so when you pass into your workspace, when you pass into your vocational space through Jesus, what it means is that as you pass through, there is a baptizing of your thinking, a baptizing of your attitudes, a baptizing of your motives, a baptizing of the way you handle money, the way you handle clients, the way you handle correspondence. That makes everything got touched. That makes everything kissed by the, 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 the covered 
under the sovereign power and the purposes of Jesus, the gate you transit, you before you can transact, you must transit through Jesus the gate. But on this point, we should also remember that you don't just enter work through Jesus the gate. You return home also through Jesus as the gate. And for me, I can tell you back in the days when we used to go out, you know, and literally like, like used to have to work in the office, right? Which is a distant memory for me now. Back in those days, literally when I come home, I literally have to imagine hanging up like I have this like work helmet, you know, I don't have a work helmet, but I imagine I have a work helmet and with all the burdens and all the things, it's called my phone, right? And I hang it up and I put it on the side and then I walk through the door. And some days I don't and I enter my home through the fence. And you know what? I carry all kinds of junk into my home and I carry a really like what kind of attitude kind of father and husband I bring home to my home. And you know what? I have learned in my time that as you come home uh, um, after each day's work, pass through Jesus the gate. Pass through Jesus and allow him to filter out and to funnel you back into your home with a kind of like a, re like a washing, like a baptism afresh of who he is, what his purposes are for you in your role as a husband, in your role as a father, but for you in your role as a wife, as in your role as a child, whatever it might be, and you enter with fresh eyes, fresh purpose, fresh meaning to play your role in your home. Now that's that's what it means for Jesus to be the legitimate access point. What does Satan want us to do? Satan wants to come in. Satan wants to break in, but the gates will not open for him. And so what does he do? He tries to lure us out. And I know it's not in, it's not in this metaphor that the sheep try to break out. But I know from personal experience that I myself have tried to break out. I know from personal experience that I myself have tried to avoid passing through Jesus the gate in order for me to transit and then transact with the rest of the world. And I know how dangerous that can be for us, all of us here as sheep. I'm going to move on because if not, I won't have enough time to get through to, to the next points. But, but here's the thing, right? As we go from one, from one to another, let's just always remember that when, whether we are in our workspace or in our home space, remember that we are always passing through. What does Jesus represent here? Jesus refers to, uh, G Jesus should remind us of the cross. So as we go into work or when we come home, we remember the cross. We remember salvation. We remember our mission. We remember evangelism. We remember the gospel. We remember his love and his self-sacrifice. Whether you are going in or out, always pass through these things. That's the first point. And I really want to quickly move on because the real substance that I want to get into is the filter. And I'm going to spend a bit more time on Jesus as the filter, right? Jesus the gate is a filter. Now, what do filters do? Filters either, it's okay, we can stay on, on Proverbs 6, but, but what do filters do? Filters filter things in and filters filter things out so that they cannot pass through. And the gate that is Jesus is a filter. It filters in the things that please God. It filters out the things that that he hates, that are an abomination to him. It keeps them out. What are the things 
that are that the Lord hates? What are the things that are an abomination to him? Proverbs 6. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. By the way, if you see these 16, seven things, it's not that the guy who wrote Proverbs don't know how to count. It's just a linguistic thing, right? Saying that there are six. In fact, there are seven. You know, it's just, it's just a, a language thing. So what's the first one? Haughty eyes. Second one, lying tongue. Third one, hands that shed innocent blood. Then a heart that devises wicked plans. Then feet that make haste to run to evil. Then false witness, breathing out lies, very much like the second one. And then the seventh is this, the one who sows discord among brothers. And I'm just going to take a moment to look into each of this because on this point on, I want to talk a little bit about the shepherds who shepherd you. I want to talk a little bit about the people who have been ordained, the people who have made a vow, the people who have taken on the responsibility, the people who have given you their word that they are here for your spiritual feeding. And I want to spend a little moment talking about the shepherds. Because in February 2021, we all know, we all know that when a shepherd lets down his sheep, it's painful. Today, February 2021, and we've been seeing it unfold over the last few months, we all see that when a shepherd falls, when a shepherd lets down himself, lets down his family, lets down his sheep, it really breaks everybody's heart. And sometimes it breaks our hearts so much. For me, I can tell you there was one night I just couldn't sleep. And it's not as if it's brand new to us. Last year, we already had one case, one famous case in New York. This year, we had one more, rather the conclusion of one more famous case. And, and I think we cannot not talk about this. And so today, I want to talk about it in as dignified a way as possible. I want to talk about, the, about what happens when, when shepherds don't go through the gate. Or when shepherds go through the fence, go over the fence. And I want to show you guys that out of the seven things that the Lord absolutely hates, the first one is eyes that are haughty. When a man, in this case, I'm, just permit me this gender bias language, when a man who is a shepherd esteems himself more highly than he ought to, when all of us, and, I, I, and today I just want to really dis separate myself from myself and then preach to myself and put myself under the same microscope that I think all shepherds need to be put under up to some level. Eyes that are haughty, eyes that, that have a high, hold themselves in a higher esteem than they ought to. That's a shepherd climbing over the fence. God hates that. God hates that. So if today, imagine today that all of us, you know, all your pastors get abducted by aliens and you got to, you know, start applying a, a, a new set of criteria, you know, for who you will let shepherd you. Proverbs 6 is a good place to start. Any man who esteems themselves more highly than they ought to, in fact, any man who esteems themselves just a little bit like highly even, you know, because Jesus himself was extremely humble, right? That's a red flag. What does lying tongue mean? The second one, lying tongue. Distortion is lying tongue. Concealment is lying tongue. Anything where you don't represent the truth 
is lying tongue. And Jesus himself called Satan out. We heard it, right, when Pastor Ramesh was preaching, father of lies. Satan is the father of lies. When he lies, he speaks his mother tongue. And that's what that's a reminder to every one of us. Every time we do something wrong, we try to conceal it. We think, you know what? We are too big to fail. You know what? My name is too big to go down. Too many people will go down together with me. I know I've done wrong, but I cannot be exposed. Conceal, 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 conceal. Lying tongue looks like that. Deception, just distortion, just, just pushing things just a little bit more. That's an example of one of the seven things God absolutely hates. Hence, that shed innocent blood. You know, my friends, the sheep are the innocent blood. They are the innocents. And any shepherd who comes in and harms the sheep is are hands that shed innocent blood. And when I look out into Zoom at all of your faces right now, I know that you are sheep who long to build a strong relationship with the shepherds around you. Not just one shepherd, shepherds around you. Your cell leaders, your ministry leaders, myself, Pastor Ramesh, and the rest of the body. And I know that there is an amount of trust that you've placed in all of us. Can I just say this from the bottom of my heart? Never let it be that as shepherds, we let down that trust. Never let it be, God forbid, that as shepherds, we break that trust and take advantage of you and abuse you and, or, 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 or neglect you or harm you or in any way whatsoever take from you that which you would not give. Friends, that is so important because hands that shed innocent blood, God absolutely considers an abomination. And then the rest, Sometimes these lists are too big. That's why we don't even scrutinize the first four. The next one kind of speaks for itself, right? Once you, once you have committed sin and then you have, to, you have to PR your way out of it, then you have to cover up, then you have to do something, your heart automatically will start devising wicked plans. By the way, one of the wicked plans that happens on the spot is when a shepherd is called out or when someone calls out, asks the shepherd the first question, hey, is everything okay? If the shepherd blows up, that's a, that's a way of devising a wicked plan. Because when the shepherd who has been called out blows up at you and says, how dare you question my integrity? That's a way of making sure that the second question never comes again. It is a means of devising a wicked plan to shield themselves from any kind of scrutiny and any kind of accountability. Friends, we must be very careful about that. And the rest just speak for themselves. I won't go into the detail of the rest, but I think when you look, you know. The unique one is the last one. When you sow discord among brothers, that's that God hates that. God hates that. So my friends, I'm going to ask you a question. When the door is a, is a filter, what does it filter in? What does it filter out? And in case you don't, you're not yet convinced that all doors are filters, then maybe you've never gone to a club before. I, I, I'll be honest, I've gone to a club twice in my life and I did not enjoy either occasion. 
But I know that when you get to the door of a club, there's two bouncers there and they filter in the cool people and they filter out people like me, right? They filter in the good-looking girls and, and the men who can spend money. I am neither a good-looking girl nor a guy can, who can spend lots of money. So I know that when I go, uh, if I were to try to go to a place like this, I qualify under the category of people who will get filtered out, right? Um, if, 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 you, if you're a sound engineer, Right, you know that a, a noise gate filters some frequencies out and filters other frequencies in. Every gate is a filter. Every gate filters some things in, and your the gate in your house filters in family, friends, loved ones, and it filters out strangers. It filters out weirdos on the street. It filters out all the time, whatever it is, right? And whether you want or to open your doors or not, that is your prerogative. But the gate is a filter. And over Chinese New Year, we know we filter in Jesus and we filter out Tyson, right? Because, because my filters as well, right? So what, what, uh, what, what gets filtered in? What gets filtered in? What gets filtered out? I think we just saw some of the things that Jesus will filter out. When Jesus is the gate, he tells, he says no to all of those six and seven things that are listed in Proverbs chapter six. But what does he filter in? He filters in love. For the sheep. If you've got love for the sheep, you get filtered in. You pass through the gate that is Jesus Christ. If you have love for his word, you come to the gate and you present yourself and he sees you as having love for the word, undying love for the word. He filters you in. When you love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind and strength, he filters you in. When you show up and you're humble, he filters you in. When you show up and you're like a servant before him, he filters you in. When you show up and you're prepared for self-sacrifice, he filters you in. So my friends, my friends, how do you know when a would-be shepherd, how do you know when a would-be shepherd is trying to climb the fence? Let's go to the next slide. Yeah. How do you know when a shepherd is climbing over the fence? I've listed down six things. They are not they are not exhaustive. They are not exhaustive. They are more. Okay, let's go to the previous slide, right? Let's go to the previous slide. How do you know when a shepherd is climbing the fence? And because he's climbing the fence, you know he's not passing through Christ. Because he's climbing the fence, you know that the filter of Jesus Christ has already said no. And therefore, you have no access to the sheep. You shall not enter and harm the sheep. And now this shepherd goes around to climbing. First one, when a shepherd makes themselves, now I'll just say them, okay, not him, okay. When a shepherd makes themselves, no, let's stay on the previous slide. When a shepherd makes themselves the most important reference point for their congregation, they're climbing over the fence. When a shepherd, and I'm going to elaborate on this, when a shepherd says, why you didn't ask me? You need to ask everything through me. Why did you talk to that other pastor? You need to come through me. I am your leader. You need to come. Everything has to be through me. Where did you read that? Did you read that book? What? From, from, you shouldn't. You should ask me. I'm the one who tells you what is true and what is not true. When a pastor makes themselves, when a shepherd makes themselves the point of reference for everything, they are climbing over the fence. You want to know why? 
because Jesus is the point of reference for everything, not the preacher, not the pastor, not the shepherd, not the cell leader, not the leader, not the ministry leader, not the BSF teacher, not anybody. There is nobody who should be the focal point of reference except Jesus, only Jesus. That's why we sing only Jesus. For me, let my heart want for nothing slash no one but Jesus. Let he be the focal point. You want to know truth? Go to Jesus. You want to have truth elaborated to you? You can go to a pastor. You can listen to sermons. In fact, I encourage you, listen to many pastors and listen to many preachers. Because when you listen to many pastors and many preachers, you don't grow lopsided. Because who knows if Fergus Ong keeps banging on the same horse and if the more you learn from Fergus Ong, then the more lopsided you'll be and suddenly it's like working out only your left arm and then you've got a huge left arm and your right arm is like a matchstick, you know? You don't want that. You don't want that. Go. So I blow church. You have my encouragement. Go listen to lots of preachers. Please, don't just listen to our pulpit. Go listen to Pastor Chu's revelation. Go listen to the main church. Go listen to, to, to lots of things. You know why? When you listen to lots of things, you grow out you know, in, in a balanced way. That's a very important criteria. Number two, when a shepherd won't let anyone reproach them, they are climbing over the fence. I'm going to say that again. When a shepherd will not let anyone debrief them, correct them, teach them, ask them, is something wrong? Ask them, you know what, pastor, brother, shepherd, some of these things sound a bit dodgy and there are people who are starting to talk. Can I talk with you about it? And if the leader immediately puts up the defense and says, no, how dare you question my integrity? They're climbing over the fence. Every leader, especially spiritual leaders, must be open to that conversation. There is no way, no other way to it. Accountability, openness must be a hallmark of whoever you let feed you. Does that make sense? If you're going to let someone feed you, make sure that they are transparent. You can see through them and people can talk to them about the things that are questionable and they can have an open, honest, even-tempered conversation about it. And if they can't, that's a red flag. In likelihood, they're climbing over the fence. Number three, when they indulge in flattery and fandom and then fame. They're climbing over the fence. And I say this especially in this age when pastors can very quickly overnight and, and with like 10,000 followers on Instagram or something like that, suddenly overnight become quite well followed. You know what, my friends? It starts with flattery. It moves on to fandom. It leads to fame. If any shepherd starts indulging this, and you will know when they start to enjoy it a little bit too much, they bask for that one extra second in the clapping. They wait for that one extra second for that, for that encouragement. Or they come down and they straight away, first thing they ask, how was my sermon today? You know, as if waiting for you to say, so good, pastor, right? If you ever smell that, speak to them. Speak to them. Hold them accountable because... Fandom, which leads to, to uh, um, flattery, which leads to fame, which leads to fandom, is a 
very dangerous thing for anyone who is supposed to be feeding you spiritually. And while I'm on this point, entitled expectations to work for luxury, when, when a leader, a spiritual leader has a sense of entitlement to a certain amount of luxury, like when I, when, when I go here, I deserve to have, the, have this chair. Jesus says, no, you take the last chair and hope that someone offers you the first one, right? And it's the same whether it's a seat in a sanctuary or it's the same whether it's a seat in, a, in an aeroplane as far as I'm concerned, right? If, if you guys ever catch me flying like some kind of like, like high class <laughs> on your ties, come and gut me, please. Come and gut, I give you full permission to come and like strangle me properly. Please do, please do, you know? Number four. When they aren't anchored on the Bible, they're climbing over the fence. Very easy to spot. When they're not preaching out of the word of God, when they're telling jokes for like 20 minutes and then sharing one verse for the next five minutes, you know, that's climbing over the fence. There's no other way about it. You can't. We, 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 are, we, we, are, we are vowed towards the ministry of the word. There is no way we can do it by, by being funny, being charismatic, being whatever it is. If all those things exist and you're preaching the word, good for you, good for us. But if not, preach the word as faithfully as we can, right? That's why we sing, Firman mu Tuhan, tiada berubah, right? The word of God never changes. Pastors come and go. Preachers come and go. Fads come and go. Celebrity uh, uh, Christian uh, teachers come and go. But the word of God is forever. Anyone who, by the way, if, you, if in your ministry you are also lopsided, if in your ministry you are lopsided in any way and lopsided in a way that neglects this, you're probably climbing over the fence. Probably climbing over the fence. Number five, when they make the Christian faith to be about your earthly happiness, they're climbing over the fence. If I tell you that the Christian faith is about you, uh, it's all about you being able to have your best life now, that's climbing over the fence. Because our best life is next time. Our best life is over on the other shore. Friends, I don't want you to get hoodwinked into thinking that there is a Christianity that is out there that is true and also all about your luxuries and your privileges and your rights and your, and your comforts and all that. It's not Christianity. Both can't exist at the same time. And anyone who peddles that gospel is climbing over the fence. Number six, when they prioritize outward outcomes over the inner condition. That's climbing over the fence. The Pharisees prioritized outward outcomes and outward looks, and they curated, they went to so far to curate their optics. And meanwhile, the inside was rotting away, and Jesus called them out. He said, You whitewash tombs, you wash the outside of the, of the bowl, but you don't look at the inside, it's so dirty. That's you, by the way, that's you. He says that to some of us pastors. You you gout him your Instagram account so nice, you gout him your you when you preach, everything looks so good, and then you got this account, you got that account, and everything looks so spick and span. And then when you close the door and you're on your Instagram scrolling, and God knows what filth you look at. All of us, friends, be careful. Be careful. Any one of this climbing over the fence.
So what does the filter of Jesus filter in? I gave you that list just now. Now we can click to the next slide. The, the gate that is Jesus filters in whoever you let feed you. Maybe we can put it that way. Whoever who you let to feed you spiritually must be Christ saturated. So when you pass through that gate, when you, when you pass through that gate into your pasture land, that you're passing through a saturation of Jesus Christ. You're passing through an anchoredness in the Bible. I wanted, I really wanted to just put Christ-centered Bible-based spirit out because it's an SIBKL tagline. But I think that if I put that, you will just you will just gloss over it because it's a tagline and, you, and, and taglines don't help us sometimes, you know? But you got to pass through something that is saturated in Jesus Christ, pass through something that's anchored in the Bible, pass through something that is oriented towards the gospel, enabled only by the Holy Spirit and not by our own strength, modest like a servant. Let anyone who feeds you spiritually be modest like a servant and humble like a slave. And when I say modest like a servant, I mean that the, the way they interact with people should be modest like a servant. And the way they are humble like a slave should be the inner posture. The inner posture needs to be humble like a slave. And last one, can be seen through like glass. Let everyone who feeds you spiritually be able to be seen through. I can see it. Opaque shepherds make very dangerous shepherds. Let's move on. Let's move on. So I've talked with you at length about about the filter that talks really about the shepherds. I talked with you briefly about the legitimate access point that talks about the sheep. And now point three, Jesus the gate is a funnel. And with this, I will close. The funnel talks about create, creating that, that conditions that what you can call a church. The funnel gives direction. If, a, if there's no funnel, then you can go anywhere, right? Jesus, the gate, is a funnel. The funnel, which is the gate, gives all the sheep direction. Where do the sheep go to find pasture? They go through that one gate. Jesus says, enter through the narrow gate. For broad is the gate and wide is the road that leads to destruction. And the very man whom, who passed away last year and just very recently was fully exposed he was the one who said, every time you remove a fence, think long and hard about why that fence was put there in the first place. Such wise words. Such wise words. It's a bit like, it's a bit like reading Solomon's life. Such wise words. Friends, that gate is a funnel. It gives all the sheep a point of reference to pass through and to know where to go. Remember, when all the sheep go out, they're like a procession. And then... The shepherd goes to the front, leads them all in the same direction. That's what church is. When the church passes through Jesus Christ, there is a sense of direction. There is a sense of leadership. There is a sense of purpose. There is a sense of we know where we are going. Jesus, the gate, fosters unity. Because you know what? If there is no gate, and the third one prevents dispersion. If there is no gate, the sheep just go anywhere they like. And that's not what we are called to. We are called to come together. You know, right, that sheep, if they try to overtake each other and all that, they can't pass through the gate. If everybody tries to push at the gate, nobody passes through the gate. So in order to pass through the gate, the sheep need to foster unity so that one go, then the next go, then the next go, then the next go. The gate 
is like a funnel that fosters unity among the sheep. In order to pass through Jesus, we need to think of each other. We need to consider each other. Third one, it prevents dispersion. Because you know what, my friends? And the fourth, of course, brings conversion. Everybody comes together, right? And this is what church is. And I know that sometimes, every once in a while, you meet a friend, an old friend, a Christian who is saying that, oh, I don't believe in the church. I still pray to Jesus, but I don't think that we need to go to church. I still pray to Jesus. I read my Bible at home, but I don't believe in the institution of the church. You don't have to believe in an institution, but Jesus is the head of the church and the church is his body. So if you're dislodged from the body, you are not attached to the head. And if you are not attached to Jesus Christ, then he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Any branch that is not in me dies and dries. You wither away. Tomorrow you are burnt in the fire. So my friends, there is no other way to do this. There is no perfect church. And I hope you don't go around looking for the perfect church because if you find a perfect church, you'll screw it up. If I found a perfect church, I would screw it up. SIBKL at Sungai Buloh is far from a perfect church. But we are a church that as far as I can tell and as far as I want to lead is determined to hang on to a perfect God for dear life. And that's what we are. We don't want to disperse and we are certainly not people who say that we can just do Allah, Allah, any kind of Christian life, stay at home, read my Bible, no need church. That's not us. We want to be connected to the body because being connected to the body means being connected to the head and the head is Jesus. Jesus is the vine. I don't want to die and drown. I want to thrive. I want to survive. I want to live. Amen. So my friends, I just want to take a, a moment right now as we close. Everybody close your eyes. Everybody stretch your hands out um, to the screen because I just want to take a moment to honour the shepherds in this house. Father, I just want to thank you for Pastor Ramesh and Denise. I pray for Pastor Ramesh and Denise, how faithful they are in serving you and in holding on to this vision. Father, I want to thank you for Nyom and Melissa who have been serving you for so many years now in their cell. Father, I want to thank you for David and Jenny who have, been, who, who have battled through so many mountains and are still so thriving today. I want to thank you for Zillow and Shanshan. Zillow and Shanshan who have raised up such a great team of people to support them as they have this new child. I want to thank you for Tim and Kian who really know where to find sheep, in order, where to find good grass in order to feed their sheep. I want to thank you, Lord, for Sharon Simeon, who has, who has battled and faced so many challenges in her life and is still so dependent on you and not on anything else. I want to thank you for Henrik, who has such a way with his cell members and in drawing people together. I thank you, Lord, for DK and Rachel, for the love that you put into their hearts for the sheep and for bringing people, gathering people together. I thank you for Lionel and Rachel. I, I thank you, Lord God, that you've put in their hearts such a steadiness and such a steadfastness. I thank you for Andros, who, who just has such a natural love for connecting with people and for reaching out and for understanding you. I thank you, Lord, for Katie whom you've blessed with so many gifts, such a humble heart and such a love for the lost. I thank you, Lord, for Jack, who is in Singapore right now, 
such a dear brother whom I love so much. Father, I thank you for him. I thank you for the new leaders who will be raised up in our midst this year. And I charge every single one of them with this love for God to be Christ-saturated, Bible-anchored, spirit-enabled, gospel-oriented, humble, meek, gentle, loving, transparent, so they can be seen through like glass. And for all of us in Sunai Bulo Church, let this be our cry. Let my heart want for nothing but you. Let us truly be sheep who recognize his voice so that we pass through the gate and only the gate of Jesus Christ. Friends, let us worship right now. DK, if you can take us away. Father, we thank you, Lord God. And as we sing these words, we pray that there will be sincere cries to you in heaven, Lord God. And Father, we pray that you will test our hearts and see that they be true, O Lord God. That our hearts will desire and crave after nothing else other than you. We will desire after no fame, no wealth, no power, no followers, no anything of all the trappings of the love for the world and the, and the things in it. But may we long only for Jesus Christ, O Lord God. And as we are sheep or whether we are shepherds, may we follow and hear only Jesus. May we pass through only that one legit path and transacting point into this world and back home, Jesus Christ. Every day as we enter and exit, may we be clothed in your righteousness. May the blood of Jesus wash us as we go out. May the blood of Jesus wash us as we come in. May we be baptized by your love and by your vision every single day of our lives. And Father, I pray that even as, as the pen and the, and the pasture land is so confused in this MCO time, such that one moment we are in the pen, one moment we are in the pasture land. I pray for continued strength for every one of my brothers and sisters who struggle with work from home or school from home. I pray, Father God, that every single one of us will be held in your hand and we will not let go. We will not let go. So, Father, I thank you. May you bless us and keep us. May you turn your face to shine upon us and be gracious to us. May you turn your face toward us and give us your shalom. And all of God's people, shout aloud. Amen. Amen.